Ridge in Wyoming. But this avid reader, mentor, author, and humanitarian had dreams as big as the western skies. She served as President George W. Bush's press secretary and was nominated by President Obama to serve on the Broadcasting Board of Governors. Today, you know her as the co-host of The Five and America's Newsroom on Fox News. And I'm here to tell you, Dana Perino is the real deal. Dana Perino, it's so good to hear your voice, and it's an honor to have you here as my guest on The Cultural Scavenger. I feel incredibly honored to be asked to be a part of it and also to have had an opportunity to get to know you a bit uh, over the years. And when I told my co-anchor, Bill Hemmer, what I was getting to do today, he said, wow, that's amazing. And he's right. Well, wow. right. <laughs> well thank you. You know, the, which brings me back to the first time we met and I was on your show, The Daily Briefing, a couple of years ago when my book for Allison was published. And I'll never forget the first thing you said was, I read your book over the weekend and I couldn't put it down. Now, I was incredibly impressed because nobody does that. <laughs> and and you asked me questions that only someone who had read the book would know to ask. And I think it's a that is a perfect example of what you stress about work ethic, research, and preparation in your new book, Everything Will Be Okay. Life Lessons for Young Women from a Former Young Woman, <laughs> which is very clever. I like that. And I was flattered to get the advanced galley. So let's talk about that. And now I'm not the target audience, but there were some great lessons in, in your book. I'm gonna, I actually think that, that, well, that's true, right? And I don't think that the publisher said, oh, you know, um, guys all across the country are going to want to read this book that is very clearly in the, in the title life lessons for young women. However, I have come to think that it actually was even more for men than I thought. Um, former Congressman Trey Gowdy, who's now a, a host here, uh, again, as you say, it's very flattering when somebody will actually read your book. Yeah, you feel deeply honored by that. And when I did an interview with him, I was so uh, surprised by, first of all, he started off by showing two photographs of young women that had worked for him on Capitol Hill when he was in Congress. And I, I recognized them, but I, I was sort of taken by surprise because he said, these two women worked for me as communications directors, and I had let Dana know that they were uh, uh, admirers of hers and that they considered her a mentor and that she reached out to them and really helped develop their careers. Now, I remember spending some time with them, and I'm actually still in touch with at least one of them, um, and she's doing quite well. And it was like my whole book book came full circle in that moment, which is that if you have uh, some advice to give um, and somebody reaches out and wants some help, one of the one of life's great joys is being able to pass things on to the next generation. And I've really loved that. But um, I would also say that I there have been a couple of times in my career when I have been asked to jump in and do an interview with somebody who has a book coming out. And mate, let's just say it's a two minute, three, three to four minute interview. And I haven't had time to read the book. Right. I always feel like a fraud. I feel guilty. I feel like I've missed something and I love to read. But let me just say something about your book about Allison. I remember, I remember exactly where I was that weekend when I read it. Uh, I have a little, had a little loft area at the time. 
And I was there for a few hours, went down, walked my dog, Jasper, came back up and finished it and sent a note to my producer saying that this is an incredibly good book. And I would say that I know good books. <laughs> um, but I, so I don't pass around that compliment very easily. I will ne- if, if somebody's book is terrible, I will never say anything about it. But I will always, I will always praise a book that's good. And, and, and yours was well, thank really you. spectacular. And I loved having you on the show that day. Your story and your um, advocacy for Allison and, and, and her life really spoke to me. And I think because of your efforts, her light continues to shine. I think so. And um, I I appreciate those words. Some takeaways that I had from from your book that I wanted to share, and I shared with you, uh, the first one was the wardrobe choices that women make. You you tackle that issue pretty well. It was was very well done. (laughs) Well, you know, it's one of those things, it's a tired phrase, dress for success. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I think that sometimes you think, well, of course, everybody knows that. Actually, they maybe don't. not. They you know, maybe don't. nobody told them mm-hmm. um, that perhaps, like, for example, if you are tugging on your skirt all day long because it's not as long as you would like, then you have the wrong length of skirt on. That's what I would say. Because if you're uncomfortable and you're thinking about your clothing too much, you're not going to be able to focus on your work. Yeah. Um, and I actually interviewed a woman who is a stylist who started with you know, very little and now helps women um, figure out a way to have a good wardrobe that can work with their lifestyle and the work that they need to do. And she told me about this lady who she was going on a three-week business trip. She was the CEO of a company and had wanted to do everything in a carry-on. And she had several things like, for example, there would be a breakfast meeting, uh, an evening event, and then a, a walking hike with a, um, with a team in one day. And she was able to do that. So I interviewed her about what should young women figure out, have in their wardrobe. And one of my favorite pieces of advice that seems to really stick with people is I say, don't wear Uggs to the office. (laughs) And I love Uggs. I wear them all the time. But there was this young lady at Fox years ago. I would just watch her shuffle in her Uggs all day long, every day for like three years. Wow. Up and down the hallway. And I thought, she just does not look like somebody that wants to be promoted. She's not. Picking up her feet. Yeah. You know, when your, grand, when your mom or your grandma would say, pick up your feet, and you got kind of annoyed, but there's a reason. Sure. So dressing for the job you want, not the job you have, is just great advice. And I felt like I just needed to say it again. And I think another good piece of advice, not just for young women, but Gen X down through millennials, what they need to do is get their face out of the phone and pick up the phone and talk to someone. Don't text them. Talk to them. Absolutely. Oh, it drives my husband crazy. He's like, do you realize that it takes 10 times longer to do a text thread than to just pick up the phone and say what you want to say? Yeah. Um, now, sometimes I feel like a little bit of curmudgeon and I get it that you think that um, calling is really annoying or you don't want to actually interact with people. But I also say that in the workplace in particular, if you are um, Gen Z or millennial, it is likely that as of now and maybe for the next 10 to 15 years, your higher-ups are going to be Gen X or even Baby Boom. And if that's the case, you have to know that they're not going to appreciate it if you're looking at your phone during a meeting or if they call you into the office and say, could you do these three things for me and you don't have a piece of paper and a pen in order to take notes and you just look blankly at them. 
Uh, so I give, I really do think there is some technology etiquette that needs to happen that will just help you be in a better position for promotion or raises or opportunities. Yep. One of the other topics that you covered that inspired a podcast for me is the scourge of upspeak. Mm. Tell me about that. Oh my gosh, this just happened the other day. It literally just happened to me on Sunday. We're doing this on a Tuesday. So up speaking is when young women will talk like this all the time. And even and men do it too. They, they, well, it is starting. It's an epidemic. Right. It's an epidemic. And I find that young people don't even realize they're doing it. No. Because everybody talks the same way. So especially when they're growing up. So they think that that's just how everyone sounds. And you adapt in order to fit in. I get that. But what I'm trying to tell them is that show, to me, it sounds like a lack of confidence. Um, and I will never put you in front of the client or, or have you go in front of the board or send you out on the sales meeting or ask you to man the booth at the convention because I don't think that that, that will bring in business or it won't be a credible person to represent the company or the client, whatever it might be. And yeah. I find that a young person can turn this off almost immediately once they are gently told that they're doing it. So my example is on Sunday, this young woman has had read my book. She asked if she could have a little time with me. I carved out some time for her. She said she had questions. She's just graduated college. As she's asking me about how to help land an entry-level position and what would be better in terms of her career and starting out, after about 20 minutes, I had to stop her and say, I know that you might not realize that you're doing this, but you read the whole book, right? Yes, she did. So you remember the part about up talking? She said, yes. I don't know if you realize it, but you do it in almost every sentence. And she said, that's so interesting. I had a speech coach or a speech teacher in college that told me the same thing. And I said, well, now you've heard it from two people who care about your future. So maybe you need to record yourself having a conversation and listen to it so that you can hear what we are trying to tell you, because I guarantee you can turn this off tomorrow and that will, that will immediately improve your job prospects. It will set you apart from the competition. So I'm hoping that that comes true. Yeah. I'd be curious to see how that, um, how that plays I'll let you out. Know, because I'm sure she's going to get back in touch with me to yeah. let me know. Well, I bet she does it though. Look, yeah, I, told you that, uh, I said that she could meet with me if she read my book. I said, I don't care how you get the book. Like you could borrow it from somebody, but I knew that she had been given, um, it as a gift from graduation. And I said, yeah, you can have a meeting with me, but you have to read the book first. Yeah. Because yeah. the worst thing to do when you're looking for a mentor is to come to them and say, so what do you think I should do? And it's so open-ended and you think, well, I don't really have time to interview you about what you think you should do. Um, you, if you're going to have time with a role model or a mentor, you have to come very prepared and use their time wisely and yeah. use yours too. To circle back with the original point that I brought up about reading, loved your counsel in the book for people to read. Yes, I am. I believe that the philosophy of being the most well-read person in the room is what has helped set me up for success my entire life. Part of it, Andy, was because when I first went to Washington, D.C. Uh, on Capitol Hill, before I went back to work in the administration uh, in 2001, was that I had a bit of an education inferiority complex. 
I had gone to the University of Southern Colorado, which is a great school. Mm -hmm. I was there on a full ride scholarship for the speech team. And I got a good education, but I felt that I was underread on many different issues. When I first got to Capitol Hill, Congressman Scott McInnes recommended I read Review and Outlook in the Wall Street Journal every day. I have done that every day since August of 1995. Yeah. But I also, I just added a whole bunch of things to my reading list. My take-home folder every day for reading material in between shows is about two inches thick. And that doesn't include all that I'm reading on um, articles that I find at the New York Times or Washington Post mm -hmm. or even places like National Review. Um, I'm, I'm, or, you know, sometimes you'll find things on Reddit. There's just so much out there that I found that when the president would turn to me to ask a question, he knew that I was the most well-read person in the room. He knew I'd read it. And so did the uh, White House reporters. And I think that they really appreciated that I read everything that they wrote so that, that I could be prepared, but also I could take an interest in what uh, they were saying. And I have learned to read pretty quickly, thankfully. Um, but I, when I sit down to read a book like yours, for example, though, I, I, I slow down and I try to take it all in. Right. I also love reading novels. And I found that one of the great things about being a reader is that it makes me a better connector or networker or a better word for that might be friend. So for example, I read a novel called Northern Spy mm -hmm. by Flynn Berry a couple weeks ago. It's so good. Read it in one weekend. Novel about um, the Irish Republican Army and the, the attempted recruitment of two young women sisters to join the IRA as spies. And I learned so much. Well, I just remembered that a colleague here had actually studied in Belfast. And I said, oh, I read this book over the weekend. I thought of you. I thought you might like it. I just passed it on to her. Well, then she loved the book. And then we created a bond. And that's how you help make connections, even mm -hmm. if you don't need something immediately from somebody. Reading can help you make connections all across the spectrum. And it can help further your career and really enhance your life. Are you familiar with an, an app called Flipboard? Yes. I have never used it, though. Do you like it? I love it. That's, really? I literally, yeah. I spend, write this down. you know, Barbara and I spend probably two hours every morning just devouring everything in Flipboard. It pulls in a little bit of everything. Breaking news, but other stuff, you know, electronics, football. I mean, you name it. It's all in aggregate. Is it and, so? Is, is it a little bit like Apple News or better? Uh, I like it better than Apple News, but it's like okay. Apple News. It's it's the yeah. same kind of same kind of thing. It's a what do you call it? A an, not an anthology, but what do you what would you call? Oh, it? Um, an aggregator. An aggregator. Yes, thank you. So when, when I uh, with an I, I probably should pick up another hobby or something like <laughs> like uh, maybe crossword puzzles or something like that. But I find myself going to look at the news updates. Several times a day. What's mm -hmm. going on? What's going yeah, on now? I do. I, be, I do too. I don't know about you, but when you read, do you actually read, or are you like me? I do Audible. I I love to have somebody read to me, and I read. Oh. You know, I read a ton of stuff or listen to a, a ton of books. But that I, that's my preferred method because when I'm out hiking or doing something like that, when I'm active, I like to instead of music, I listen to books. It's a great. It's a great blend. Right. So mm -hmm. I love podcasts. Um, and I think that this has been one of the great inventions of our time. Mm -hmm. I listen to a whole range of them. Um, I find 
that I listen at 1.5 speed sometimes so that I can, you know, uh, get through all of them. I utilize <laughs> them in my work. Uh, I also have found that I really enjoy audiobooks of nonfiction because I typically don't like to sit down and read a whole big long book of nonfiction. Sometimes I just feel like I read too much news. And when I have time to read for pleasure, that's usually fiction. I recently yeah. listened to Brandy Carlisle's book called Broken Horses. Yeah. I've heard Highly, have you read it? I haven't read it, but I, oh, I know of it. You have to, you're going to love it, okay. especially for your hikes, because at the end of every chapter, she sings. It's just her and her guitar. Oh, wow. The song that's based on the chapter that you just had. And at the end of the book, don't turn it off right away. There's like 10 songs that she sings. And I thought that book was beautifully done. And then I started listening to some fiction and seeing if, just to see if I could pay attention. And I'm listening to, the End of the Affair by Graham Greene right now. Mm -hmm. And I always I sort of chide myself for the fact that I actually never read The End of the Affair by Graham Greene. And when I talk about having this education inferiority complex or feeling underread, I would put that in the category. But in order to maximize my time every day that God has given me here, I will turn on one of these books or a podcast or something so that when I'm walking from the studio home or uh, home back, or if I do the long walk on the weekend to get some some of my steps in, I decide to actually use that time for Audible. Yeah. Well, speaking of your upbringing, you grew up in Wyoming, and uh, as as <laughs> I don't, hopefully you got a kick out of it. I I thought it was kind of funny. John Oliver pointed it out in a bit. Yeah. <laughs> it, <laughs> yeah. And hey. I, I, I tweeted him like, "It's true. I grew up on a ranch," uh, and I. Uh, <laughs> I uh, put out that photograph of me uh, um, on a horse. I Yeah, of course, everybody can make fun of that. Or he could have said, oh, she worked in the White House, because I say that a lot, too. Right. Well, uh, hey, listen, at least you didn't end up as a Saturday Night Live meme like Sarah Huckabee Sanders. Or, yeah, I mean, I mean or on, like Sean yeah. Spicer. Um, it's interesting because I find somebody like Sarah to be like, super brave, right, to be able to keep going out there, even though you're getting so much criticized. I have always, especially when I was, even when I was press secretary, that was a very public job, but I love to be in the background. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't until I transitioned onto the five and then had the opportunity to be um, an anchor on, in the news division as well, that I was a little bit more comfortable being in the public eye. You started out in school. You were a journalist. When did you decide that you wanted to be a journalist? Oh, early on. So, um, I know that you and Allison had this kind of a bond as well. And when I was in third grade, my dad started a tradition with me where I had to read the Rocky Mountain News and the Denver Post every day before he got home from work. Mm -hmm. And I had to choose two articles to discuss with him before dinner, any article that I wanted. And I would tell him why I chose it, what I thought about it. And he would you know, gently challenge me, perhaps like from a you know, devil's advocate position. And that really helped develop my critical thinking skills. And I also believe that is a good age for daughters to learn how to present themselves in a confident mm -hmm. way in front of a dominant male figure. Oh, what a cool because, dad he was. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, he didn't know what that was going to do for me later on, but if I could point to one thing that led to me to where I am today, it was certainly that. Now I was a big reader early on. My mom used to get so frustrated because we could go to the library once a week and you could choose, I believe you could check out seven books at a time. Mm. And my mom would be so frustrated because by the time we got home, I had already read two of them in the backseat. 
And wow. she would say, well, then you're going to have to read them again. <laughs> <laughs> you, Actually, you, it's interesting that I say that um, when my husband and I met on an airplane and then we had our first date, dates, I should say, as he came to uh, Washington, D.C., like every other week from England, I would say, our dates would be at Kramer Books, Kramer Books and afterwards in Washington, D.C. And mm-hmm. we would browse the books while we waited for a table. And I'll never forget that he would actually buy me physical books. I'd been going to the library for so long. You don't make much money when you first start out on Capitol Hill. And right. I love a library. Right. I do. But when he would buy me books, that was that was romantic to me. <laughs> wow. What a cerebral relationship you had. <laughs> <laughs> I think I drive him crazy because I read so much. And then I'm like, why don't you read this? Why aren't you reading this? Why is it taking you so long to read this? Why, why, why? Well, because you want to be the smartest person in the room and you are. So and I want to share, I want to share all these great works. Like my, the, my favorite book that I've read this summer. Oh my gosh. I've had such a good reading year, but this book really stood out to me. A friend of mine wrote it. Her name is Jean Becker. And she was the chief of staff to George H.W. Bush, also known as 41, and Mrs. Barbara mm-hmm. Bush, for 25 years in the post-presidency. And the book is called The Man I Knew. And I'm telling you, she can flat out write. And the stories are so wonderful. And it's a terrific blueprint for how to live with joy and to get over disappointments and resentments and to really find all the good in life that you can and to support each other. I loved this book. I highly recommend it. So I did send my husband with that book on his trip to Dubai for a trade show and said, and don't come back before it's finished. I'm and kidding. then I want to review when you get back. So Yes, exactly. We'll have book club. Yeah. So you ended up as W's press secretary. What was that like? Oh, it's terrific. You know, it's funny. I, I look back with such fondness. And then I think about there were days when I just must have been pulling my hair out. I remember one day Peter picked me up from work and I caught a glimpse of myself in the side mirror and I looked so hard and angry and I thought, wow, that is just not me. And I know that there were, I know there were days like that, but when I think back on that time now, I can't really conjure up that feeling. I only remember it with great affection, challenge, joy, excitement and a deep appreciation for our country and a really a lot of gratitude for having an opportunity to travel all around the world with him especially the trip that we did to Africa in February of 2008 i think that really helped remind me of who i wanted to be mm-hmm. so my husband and i returned to Africa in January, February of 2009, we spent four weeks there, South Africa. Uh, we spent two weeks volunteering at a PEPFAR site, which was the president's emergency plan for AIDS relief. Mm-hmm. And we did everything from working in the hospice to, um, and actually that was a place where I, none of the women would really want to talk. And I noticed that they were picking at their nail polish and they only had one bottle of nail polish left in the whole uh, area. Well, in the hospital there. And I had Peter take me to the store and I bought everybody a manicure set and then I did all their nails. I set up like a little mini nail salon in the hospice and all of a sudden they would all tell me their story and I got to be connected with them. And when I think back to that, it really gave me, I think, perspective with a capital P and it also gave Peter and me a joint cause that we could work on together and that has helped keep us very close in our marriage. 
and Mercy Ships is one of the charities that we support now, and they do such great work. And I've met so many friends through that too. So mm-hmm. all of those things, all the things that I'm doing now, this opportunity to be um, co-anchor on America's Newsroom, to be on The Five, to do election coverage, to be, frankly, to be able to do this podcast, to be able to work with Mercy Ships, none of that in my life would have been possible if George W. Bush had not made me his press secretary. So I'm, I, I have a huge amount of gratitude for, for his decision. He wasn't injured in this incident, but I think <laughs> no. you probably, you, you know, many people remember the Iraqi television journalist that threw a shoe at him. <laughs> wow, that's very generous of you to call him a television journalist. <laughs> uh, well, I know. Actually, I pulled that, uh, you know, and I, I thought about that. I'm going, mm, that's probably not the right, but that was in Wikipedia. That's what they called him yeah, in Wikipedia. Yeah, oh, I know. I know that. Very, that yeah, it was. It was. But, that criminal, I should say. Yeah, see, so he threw two shoes at his at the president at yeah, the press conference. And, but he wasn't President Bush wasn't injured, but you were. Yeah. So anybody that doesn't remember that, you can just uh, YouTube or Google or um, uh, search for that particular video. Forty three, thankfully, was such a good athlete and had great reflexes that he mm-hmm. ducked twice. But when it was happening, the lead Secret Service agent, who was I think about six foot five, he lunged forward to protect the president. Well, when he did that, it hit the steel arm of the boom mic that the interpreter was using. And that thing swung around and caught me right under the eye. Oh, wow. Um, my right eye. And it I, her, it hurt so bad. I had never had an injury like that. And 43 saw me crying. But he kept doing the press conference and a Marine pulls me out of the room and I'm getting attended to by the physician mm-hmm. and he comes to find me. It's one of my favorite pictures. It's from behind and he's got his arm around me and he says, what happened? I thought you were crying just because the guy threw a shoe at me. <laughs> and I said, Mr. President, you know, I love you, but I'm a little tougher than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's I ended up funny. with a black eye for six weeks. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so after your white house gig, you made the transition to Fox news and then you got your own show. And you and Chris Wallace, Brett Baer, Bill Hemmer, you guys are kind of the handful of hard news journalists. So what's it been like there? Well, actually, I think of it as I mentioned the Wall Street Journal. Mm-hmm. Um, and Fox has been an amazing place for me to be. And they have helped me grow in my talent over the years, making sure that I never get bored. As my mom would say, a bored Dana is not a good thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I really love thinking about this place as where you could get all sorts of information. I think our news division is top notch. I love our reporters. They are fantastic. They're all across the world. Like Trey Yinks, for example, in the Middle East, just top notch. Um, We have Alicia Cunha in Denver and she handles things extremely well. Aisha Hosni has joined us. Lydia Hugh. Um, I'm thinking about Mark Meredith and David Splint and Mm -hmm. a few people who have been here for a long time, like Jonathan Hunt, for example. You can get the news content where you want it, but you can also get the editorial page yeah. Uh, if you want that as well or not. But yeah. also the other thing is our podcast offering at Fox um, is fantastic. It's quite varied. And what I've loved is that they really broke down the barriers between the different um, divisions. So for example, if I do a interview about, let's say, let's just let's go back to your interview. For example, I do the interview with you. I call foxnews.com and say, this was a great interview. I think it would be a good feature piece for foxnews.com, which gets like almost, was it like a a billion views? Yeah, uh, it's a lot. Or something, it's a lot. And then I could say, you know what? 
I would love to run the extended version of the podcast. And so I can call up the podcast people and they put that on and we have Fox News rundown. You can have that. So it's basically taking the work that I'm doing, but amplifying it all across the channel, which I think a lot of networks are doing or they're trying to figure out how to do it. But I've been really pleased with how it's worked out here. Speaking of the five, uh, Juan Williams left the five. And, you know, after Alan Combs, remember Alan? I don't know if he sure, was there. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he was kind of the last of the Mohicans. So is there any room for liberal or progressive views at Fox? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Juan Williams has always lived in D.C. Mm-hmm. And five required him to be in New York City Monday through Friday. Oh, okay. uh, we all go through the pandemic. And as the five was to return to the studio, I think that Juan made a very good decision for himself and his family. He has uh, three children uh, all three are now married. He has, has uh, three grandchildren. He's very close to them. And I think that the uh, commute and being away from his family five nights of the week and trying to get back and forth from D.C. to New York uh, was just too much. So he continues to be a great contributor. In fact, he's going to be on America's Newsroom every week going forward, which is great. And then, of course, you have Jessica Tarlov, for example, or Harold Ford Jr., uh, who is right. uh, sitting yep. in that seat, Richard Fowler, Geraldo Rivera. So there is, um, you know, the ideological spectrum is covered. Is Donna so. Brazil? Is she still a contributor? She is still. A, she is still a, appears on the network, but okay. not as a contributor. Right? She. Uh, um, she's had a long relationship with ABC News, mm-hmm. and she loves to do the Sunday morning show. Uh, okay. okay. So uh, you'll you can find her there um, sparring or having a good time with former Governor Chris Christie, actually. And I think it's healthy for someone like Donna or for Juan or, you know, it needs back when Bill Shine was running the the store, I made a pitch to him and I said, look, I want to talk about the gun issue. Let me come in and I'll, I'll be glad to go toe to toe with Hannity or at the time, Bill O'Reilly. I said, let me, let me go after these guys. This was back in 2016. He said, no, I think this gun issue is going to go away. I, mm. he, they talked about it, but you know, they, they just didn't feel like it was going to be an issue that was long-term. And of course, here we are but it is. five yeah. years later, and it's it not going away. It is not going away. Yeah. So, and I saw that Colorado, of course, where I grew up, they just took some additional gun control measures in the state legislature there allowing cities to make some other decisions that they wanted to make for themselves in terms of gun rights and possession sure. and also the penalties for um, criminal activity. Listen, Democrats and Republicans, you know, the, the vast majority of people in this country, 90% of this country believes that we need to have some measure of gun control. You're getting resistance from a, a minority of people that believe that the government's going to come and take away your guns. And that's simply not true. You know, responsible gun owners know it. You know, we could go on on that one for a while. That's a that's another episode. So finally, as you freely admit, and I would say the same, that the real star in your family is a Vizsla named Jasper. Right. That's right. <laughs> and my golden retrievers are the same. You wrote a book about Jasper. I did. <laughs> that one didn't. That one was a New York Times bestseller, but I look back and think, how did that happen? Uh, it didn't do as well as the others. People love but dogs. They really do. And you know what I found too is that um, he's my political buffer. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to talk about politics all the time, and I love people's dogs. And when it's when we're walking down the street, people don't say, "Hey, what do you think about this issue or that issue?" They'll say, "Hey, how's Jasper?" Right. And I find that dogs are a great uniter. 
And for example, Donna Brazil has a, used to have a dog named Chip Chip and now she has Zola. But when she had Chip Chip, I had Henry. Mm-hmm. And then I got Jasper after Henry passed. And we really bonded over our dogs. We sent, we sent our dogs Christmas presents <laughs> to one another. So I find that um, Jasper brings a ton of joy to my life. And I don't know if you and your wife are the same, but when Peter and I go to dinner, if we've left him at home, we just end up talking about him the whole time. Yeah. It's um, hilarious. That's but wonderful. Of, yeah, they are. I mean, they are part of the family. What are your dog's names? I have Allie and Boo Boo. Allie is uh, the year and a half old uh, golden retriever. And Boo Boo is our three-year-old golden retriever. We got him, obviously, first. When we saw a local breeder, we saw that she had a litter and we were going, you know, one golden retriever is great. Two might even be better. And it really is. I mean, they're, they... Is it? Yeah. I've wondered about that. I just feel like it would be too hard in the city to try to manage oh, to. I just... I, I, don't I don't know how you... Yeah. I don't know how you do a dog, you know, raise a dog in the city. I, did I didn't that. think it was possible, but it does... You can do it, but I think having more than one would just be oh, my it, breaking point. Yeah. And it's just, you know, we have an invisible fence. We just open the door. They go out. We live in a wooded area. So, you know, we don't have to... It's great. Right. But, you know, listen, I did That's that. That's the best part in the out of bounds. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Out of bounds area. Many, many years ago when I was, uh, when I lived in New York and I was an actor in New York, I had a Springer Spaniel. And this was a country dog in the city. He didn't know any better. I remember one day Barbara is taking Winston out and he decides to take a dump right in the middle of <laughs> 7th Avenue, right in the crosswalk. <laughs> well, you know what? That happened to Donna Brazil and me. Oh, really? um, she, she came, she came to visit one night. We watched 60 minutes together. She was live, she was staying the night in the city, not too far from my apartment. And I said, well, I'll walk you back. And it was dark outside. Mm-hmm. And just as we're crossing Broadway and 63rd, Jasper goes to do his business. <laughs> and I'm looking at the stoplight and it's going 15, 14, 13, 12. And I was like, oh my gosh, Jasper, hurry. And here's Donna Brazil. <laughs> Holding back the traffic in the middle of the road saying, America's dog has to do his business. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. That's one of our great memories. Yeah, Yes, story. I think so. Everybody wanted to talk about the dogs. Dana, thanks for sharing your stories. I mean, it's this has been a pleasure as I figured it would be. And I will leave the listeners for all the young women out there looking for some great life coaching. Check out Everything Will Be Okay on Amazon, and as my publisher said, and wherever books are sold, right? Every single place. That's true. And it's on Audible. I read my own book. Oh, good. Good for you. Yeah, as did I. Well, Yo, I ho- and, you, and let me just say, for anybody listening, if you haven't read Andy's book, please do yourself a favor. Read it. It's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. I so look forward to uh, us getting together when we have an opportunity to go to New York. Please let me buy you dinner. I'd love to. Ah, that sounds like a plan. Thanks, Dana. Thanks, Andy. Take care. Well, that's the story. A special acknowledgement to Marianne Kennedy, Pat Bunch, and Pam Rose for allowing me to use their music from Safe in the Arms of Love, a song Allison loved. If you liked what you heard, Please share my podcast with your friends. And while you're at it, why not subscribe? And I'd sure appreciate a great rating in Apple Podcasts, too. I'm Andy Parker, and I'll be here next week with another episode of The Cultural Scavenger. Thanks for listening. <laughs>